Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Derek Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this episode, I talk to someone who probably needs no introduction, Michael Beirut. Michael, of course, is a partner at Pentagram in New York, where he's worked since 1990 uh, and has worked with clients from the New York Times to Hillary Clinton to Verizon to the MIT Media Lab. But in this conversation, we actually don't talk about his design work very much, but spend a lot of time talking about writing. Uh, Michael has done a lot of writing throughout his career. In 2003, he co-founded Design Observer and helped edit the anthologies of design writing Looking Closer, which are some really seminal texts on graphic design. This conversation meant a lot to me personally. As I mentioned at the beginning to Michael, Design Observer was very influential in my introduction to the field of graphic design. And Michael was one of the first designers that I was really conscious of when I was in high school and thinking about entering this profession. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Michael's book, 79 Short Essays on Design, was the first design book that I ever read. So to meet him and spend time with him over a decade later was, was really special for me. Uh, in this conversation, we talk about the origins of Design Observer and how he thought about writing. Uh, we talk about the awareness that the public has around graphic design and how that has changed the design process and the state of design writing. And then we also talk about the type of writing that he would like to see more of uh, kind of around the design process. It is well known that Michael is a great conversationalist and one of the smartest designers working today. And I, I really think that this conversation is no exception. It is. Uh, it was really fun and interesting and thoughtful, and I am more than grateful for the time I got to spend with him and talk about these things. So let's get right into it. This is my interview with the great Michael Beirut. It's funny, I was actually thinking on my way over here, I, I kind of discovered graphic design about 12, 13 years ago when I was, I think, like a sophomore in high school mm -hmm. or so. Um, and I grew up in suburban Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. I had never met a real graphic designer before. Yeah. Um, and so this was like 2002, 2003, um, and so it was kind of like the start of design blogs. Yeah. Um, and so that was like my, fir my first introduction to graphic design was through these these blogs and so my kind of like initial reaction of what a graphic designer is in addition to someone who makes images and deals with typography was also somebody who like writes and thinks about their work and talks about what it means in in culture right. and so that's always been something that's kind of like been very much a part of how I even think about what I do but what I realized as I was on my way over here is that obviously Design Observer was kind of one of those first ones that I right. read and your writing was on there. And so you are one of a group of designers that I kind of knew as a young high school kid, yeah. but knew you through your writing first before right. I ever saw, before I ever consciously saw your work. Right. Um, and so I'm, I, I was kind of curious is like how, because I'm kind of coming to your work from from the opposite way, how how did your kind of writing practice? How how did you start writing about design? Um, let's see. I mean, I think that um, designers have always liked talking and thinking about design. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, if you got together with other designers, you would you would talk about it. And that and that talking and thinking used to be have a kind of intense desperation to it because, you know, uh, 
you know, sort of in the year, even 10 years before and 20 years before you made your discovery, um, you know, graphic design was, you know, no one knew what it right, was, right. you know, and, and no one was expected to know what it was. And if you tried to explain what it was, you couldn't make anyone understand yeah, or, yeah. or care what you were explaining, right? Um, so if you would find someone else who did what you did, it was really this delirious moment of community you could have right. talking about the, uh, you know, all the, the trivia and esoterica right. associated with graphic design. Um, and um, I think... And there, and there weren't that many outlets for writing, but uh, pre-blogs, pre-internet, there were like, you know, there were like the design magazines, some of which w were interested in writing. There was, you know, um, places like Emigre and yeah. I that grew up in the late 80s and into the 90s that were, took writing really seriously. And I particularly was a real fan of I, and I was particularly yeah. a real fan of the way that Rick Pointer wrote. And I remember what it, I remember reading him when he was a writer for a um, he used to write for uh, an architectural tabloid called Blueprint in oh, the okay. UK. And what I liked about his writing was it was that peculiarly British way of assuming that the audience kind of had a certain uh, amount of uh -huh. was bringing a certain amount of knowledge of their yeah. the reader was bringing about a certain amount of knowledge of his or her own to the to the to the text you were writing right. that you didn't have to qualify everything um, that you could just sort of like make allusions and count on people's ability to keep right. up right and essentially kind of like you know it's a you know if you're talking about you know, and it also had a lively kind of character yeah. too. And I remember reading um, uh, like the painted word by Tom Wolfe, or some of Tom Wolfe's other essays uh, um, that touch on design. Yeah. Even, even like um, you know, Vroom Vroom, there goes that candy-coated tangerine baby. The book about the one yeah. the essay wrote about stock car racing, the one that actually launched its career as a quote-unquote new journalist is really design criticism. I mean, he's talking about the culture yeah. that kind of created yeah. the world of customized sports cars and what motivated those people to do and did it from a sociological point of view, did it from an anthropological point of yeah. view, did it with a real keen appreciation of the design work and the artwork that those guys were creating. And I remember thinking, this is a way to write about design that I really like, you know? Yeah. And, and and what I didn't like, you know, what, what I always thought was like just tedious were... Um, kind of the, you know, there were the, the alternatives in those days in design magazines were either profiles of would-be famous designers, um, you know, that would have accounts of the appearance of their studio and kind of recorded without comment, uh, um, you know, statements of intention yeah. by the, uh, by the, the subject of the, of the profile, yeah. you know, not subjected to any kind of critical view at all. And then things that passed for kind of higher level kind of critical analytical pieces always had this, he said, she said sort of uh -huh. quality. I will find, you know, five people to interview on the subject of technology oh. and design. And then just say, on the other hand, Jared feels that technology might be good, you know? And it's like, uh, and right. like, and, and like, and, and the writer has no opinion whatsoever. It's just sort of a, you know, the receptacle of, uh, of all these views. Right. So, um, uh, you know, in, in, in the early aughts, I got contacted by Bill Drentel and Jessica, and they said they were starting a blog. I barely knew what blogs were. Armin Vitt was there first with, um, with Brand, no, not Brand New, uh, with Speak, uh, Speak Up, Up. Yeah. And, uh, which was sort of um, a little bit of a kind of, 
was very much in the community bulletin board yeah. uh, thing. Yeah. Except Armin actually is a good writer and a good editor. And also, you know, as when I read Armin, I knew him primarily as a writer oh. and discovered only later that he actually did design work too. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, so that, that yeah. was a really common experience. You know, uh, Marion Banshee's another person yeah. like oh, that. Yeah. You know, that's a great example. Yeah. And, um, and so when these blogs started up, suddenly there was, you know, this outlet for publishing writing on design that had a lot of, for me, really appealing characteristics. Having written for, uh, you know, it's commissioned by Steve Heller and Chi Perlman and Rick Pointer to write okay. respectively for AIJ Journal or ID Magazine or, um, or I. And you would write a piece. They'd commission the piece. You'd write it. You'd submit it to them. After a period of time, it would be published. And then perhaps someone yeah. would acknowledge that they had read it, right? And like the period of time could, be, could feel like weeks and yeah. sometimes stretch into months. And, um, and it was also kind of, you know, it was a chore because you agreed to do it. Then you'd put it off. I'm not an enthusiastic writer. I don't like to do it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I find it really painful and aggravating, and I try, you know, like, I just don't like doing it. Um, I like having done yeah. it. I like when, I, when I'm, I'm really pleased with myself when I finish writing something, but, like, the prospect of having to write something ruins my life, actually, and I really don't like it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I, I'm, I'm told that's why, I used to say I'm not, like, a real writer. I really hate doing it, and I just procrastinate all the time, but I've talked to enough editors to learn that many writers that's, actually yeah. have that characteristic, oddly enough. Um, so, um, um you know, when Bill and Jessica said that they were going to do this blog that was going to be called Design Observer with Rick Pointer, um, you know, I sort of thought, well, this could be fun. And then I just got into it. And I had this probably, this three, four-year period where I was really prolific. And yeah. it, it was a great period to be doing this because... Um, there was so f there was enough people doing it that there was an audience, but there was still few enough people doing it that you could have whatever subject you picked, you could sort of have it to yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I remember the very first thing that I wrote in Design Observer was a piece about um, the New York Times standardizing on Cheltenham for their oh, headline. I remember thought. that. Yeah, yeah, I read that. And um, and. I remember they did it like on a Tuesday and I think I wrote my piece on the following weekend and it got published about a week later. I suspect if the New York Times did that now, there would be, forget about the design blogs, you know, forget about, um, you know, an interview with the art director yeah. that would be done by, uh, you know, Fasco Design or right. Wired or It's Nice That or Design or, you know, uh, Ion Design or whoever, you know, that would be something that Gothamist or Gawker yeah. or Slate, you know, would, would, would jump on and sort yeah. of like, yeah. you know, and, and they just yeah. would, and they would be on it like that day, uh -huh. you know, and, um, and with snarky things, with deeper things, with whatever things. And so, but in those days though, it was like, you, just, you would write yeah. this stuff and you sort of thought no one has ever, you know, I, I mean, I would write things and I would think, you know, I think no one's ever written about this stuff before yeah. and not not that I, not that I thought I was a genius and I was kind of like coming up with completely unique ideas but my assumption was that here's something that I think is interesting I have evidence uh -huh. that I've talked to several people uh -huh. who pretend that it's interesting 
and we'll just publish this and see yeah. whether several more people would think that it's interesting. And, you know, I remember watching in those days our weekly views, like, kind of went from 1,500 to 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10, 20, until we were getting 250,000 weekly views, you know? Wow. And it happened like it was like a spike yeah. straight up. And then, yeah. you know, and I have to admit, it probably is never, it hit a ceiling and didn't go much beyond that afterwards. But, uh, but, it, but so, um, um, and, I, and I sort of, me, Jessica, Bill, and Rick had this, you know, we took that, we were the only people writing for Design Observer then, and if right. there was nothing new going up, I remember I would just send around emails so that I'll write something and have it ready tomorrow morning before I even knew what it was. I just would come up with something. Because right. you wanted like this Yeah, just to make stream. it happen. Yeah. You know? and, um, and, that, and that ended up being really fun. It was, I, and I sort of managed to, almost in the first piece, to kind of, I remember Jessica saying, just pretend you're writing a letter to, uh, uh, you know, a an educated, you know, a, a, an informed friend who shares your enthusiasms, and I was able to then kind of like get the yeah. t- get the tone of voice that I admired, slightly sassy the way that Tom Wolfe was, although I'm no Tom Wolfe, and slightly knowing the way yeah. that a British, um, you know, kind of cultural journalist like Pointer uh-huh. writes. Uh, you know, and that the Guardian has dozens of these writers, as does much of the British press. But uh, that's sort right. of like you know, not being afraid to be erudite and not feeling you have to go qualify every one of your references. You can just say Baskerville. You don't have to say John Baskerville, the, the you know the the, the the 18th century British uh, uh, type designer. You know. So w- would you would you say that kind of writing for Design Observer was your education in writing? Like it sounds like yeah. that you hadn't done that. Yeah, much no, I hadn't done that much. I, I mean, I wrote things before that that I was proud of. I was a good writer. I think yeah. I, I, I honestly received the education. My education of a writer was received at the hands of a of a, a lady named Linda Wagey back when I was in the in the eleventh grade. To tell you the oh, truth, I okay. sort of learned. She taught me how to okay. write. She was a really, really good English teacher. So you've always been yeah, and writing. I was enthusiastic okay, about it. Okay. But, uh, but you know what was great about writing for the blog was one, you weren't getting assigned anything, so right. there was no obligation to someone else to yeah. do something. You would just volunteer, and then it was on you to do it, and then I would just sit down and do it. Two, um, you wouldn't have to wait three months to see it published. You just would literally right. press a button. We we all edited ourselves. There was no central editor, and we oh. just would, each of us would like literally press publish, and then the thing yeah. would be published. Um, and then three, um, you would get immediate feedback. Those were the days where comment streams could go on for yeah. 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 comments, you yeah. know? And they're not like... Stupid. Yeah, they're not yeah. like YouTube comments. Yeah, yeah, today. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, every yeah. now and then, I'll like go and yeah. look back at like old Design Observer. No, it was comments, and it's like a yeah, real yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah, no, you could hit on something depending on what it was, and um, you know, I remember right. Oh, there was this notorious one that I wrote that got that that that, that actually got heavily trolled in the comments, but uh, it was about it, it was about kind of. Uh, either plagiarism or appropriation of style and I use as an example someone who a student portfolio I saw that looked like yep. it was unconsciously or subconsciously or wit- or unwittingly ripping off Barbara Kruger uh-huh. I remember that and um, and there were like at least you know one anonymous commenter and one well-known commenter who were taking turns kind of hijacking the thread in a yeah. way 
And I actually, I, I, you know, I was famous for like not caring about the comments. I just thought, you know, I didn't care how many yeah, comments yeah. I got, and I didn't care. I, I mean, I thought it was nice to get interesting comments, but I thought, you know, unless you're going to go in and police the comments, right. you know, moderate the comments all day long, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure what principle <laughs> right. I'd have to do that. Yeah. And um, and so I just we just let it run. But then finally, um, it seemed to be. Going, you know, so that was one of the few times we actually shut a threat down, a thread down. Just oh, was really? Going, yeah, yeah. For the Barbara oh, Kruger? Piece? Yeah, if you read it to the end, you'll see that, like, you know, finally we shut that. it down. And then people are, like, really pissed that it's being, like, shut down, you know. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it, was, and it was just that, like, the other, you know, I sort of didn't care, but there were other, other design observer, the other three people to various degrees, just found the whole thing kind of, like, aggregate, you know, yeah. distracting and aggravating. That's so interesting. But, but that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, Armin will get on brand new. Yeah. If if people are kind of arguing about a new logo, but there's there's something almost guaranteed about that uh-huh. subject where it's not possible to have any conversation of substance yeah. about yeah. it just by the nature of what it is, yeah. compounded by the fact that people, you know, in the age of Twitter and 140 characters, etc., yeah. just aren't don't have the capacity to have prolonged arguments and uh, that, that's something anymore. that's something actually that I wanted to talk to you about because you wrote I think it was in 2013 your uh, graphic design criticism yeah, yeah, as yeah. a spectator sport um, which I, I actually can't even remember what the logo of that time that was kind of like the big deal yeah um, um, Tropicana well, yeah no well, I mean Tropicana was much before and then I think probably the thing that was there is probably University of California system oh, logo. That's right. that's yeah, it. that probably that's was a thing, and that that's wasn't even right. that recent. It was so that had yeah. happened months before, and so this was like a real kind of New York Review yeah. of Book style, much after the fact, yeah. thumb sucking analytical piece, you know. But I, it, it's funny because I, I reread it as I was kind of preparing for like some of these interviews yeah. that I'm doing, and I, it feels like the kind of culture that you were commenting on has only gotten worse and gotten bigger in this kind of hot take snap judgment um yeah or and or, and worse immediate I, I, as soon as i said worse i realized that puts like a kind of yeah. value judgment on it and i don't mean it like that but the the issue that you were commenting on is bigger and it's like you were saying is like you know slate and fast company and yeah, yeah. N- now we'll write about every every logo yeah. redesign um and I don't, I don't know if there's a question here, but it's interesting to think about that now in relation to you saying kind of when you started with Design Observer and there were, you thought maybe like a couple people would care. Yeah. How has that changed? How, how is that, like there's more discourse around design than ever. Yeah. How has that changed, A, how you practice, if at all, and then also how you write about it? Because um, you just, I'm thinking yeah. of the one you wrote recently about yeah. the Met, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I like I th- I think having rode out that first wave that had a really unique and probably destined to be unprecedented sort yeah. of context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm when I write now, a lot of times it'll be just this thing I think about like literally for weeks and weeks. Yeah, and finally think you know I think I've got an angle on this and I'm just going to slowly put it down and um, and I I've been kind of thinking for a long time about the subjects so that were in that design criticism of the spectator sport thing and then the one about the Met logo was sort of a second what had as you know had as much to do 
you know, I use the Met logo as the uh -huh. case study, but, you know, I could just as easily think about work that I had done, whether it's the Hillary Clinton logo uh -huh. or the Verizon logo that was subjected to the same sort of criticism. Yeah. And, um, and you know, just this kind of, um, uh, you know, sense that I had that, well, I mean, it's, I mean, I actually don't, I mean, honestly, Jared, if someone would have told me, you know, back when I was a, when I was discovering this thing that barely had a name, graphic design, when I was in uh -huh. high school, but I started carrying my typefaces and logos and stuff like that, and no one knew what I was talking about, and I right. didn't know another living person who cared uh -huh. about this stuff. Yeah. I'd never met anyone else who cared about it. If someone would have told me that that thing, hey, Mike, that thing that you really are interested in that no one really understands, you know, in, you know, in 40 years, um, it's going to be talked about like, um, like sports or, yeah. um, you know, or celebrity gossip, you know. Yeah. People will be expected to have an opinion about like the Google logo. Yeah, and, and, and I love your yeah. response. Was it Fast Company that yeah. asked you to yeah. comment on it, and you were just like, "I'm not, yeah. I'm well, not doing this." Well, I, mean, I, I don't comment on other people's yeah. logos anymore because I think it's just is having having been subjected to it, and it's just yeah. there's, 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 there's <laughs> no upside yeah. to it. Um, I will say that um, you know if you if if we want um, a more you know, if you want, if, I mean, if, if you want to toil in obscurity, um, you know, uh, for whatever reason, that's okay. Um, I don't think you can anymore, but I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a thing to yearn for. <laughs> yeah. If you want nothing but informed criticism, you're living on the wrong planet and you're part of the wrong species. And um, and I think um, you know, if and if you want, if you think what we do has enough significance that people should care about it, you kind of yeah. can't be that picky about the nature that that concern assumes, if you ask me. You know, I think that, you, yeah. I mean, there are, you know, I, like, I'll say, you know, um, what you, uh, as long as you have a little bit of a, a little bit of distance on it, and you, and, you know, the, the biggest danger if you're a practitioner is that your clients are ill-prepared for what happens, but they've right. they've learned fast as far as that goes. We launched a logo yesterday. Yeah, oh, and, you right. Know, and, um, and my clients were completely, you know, we had pre-briefed, uh, you know, yeah. you know, between between their marketing people and us, we had pre-briefed at least a half dozen different, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, websites and blogs. You know, we're gonna take you through this work and explain what we were thinking, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and like so, they really, um, you know, these companies really are anticipating that, and they're able to ride out the good and the bad, and you know, in the aftermath yeah. of it, they've people have been trading around some of the funnier, snarkier things that have right. come up, and um, and you know, it's like, um, uh, like I'm like, you know, thanks. For, you know, my, my, yeah. my attitude sincerely is. Interesting. You think that? Let me know if you design a you know financial financial institution logo that I can comment on. I'll be happy to let you know what I think. You <laughs> right. know? Yeah. And like otherwise, though, it's like most of them are just so hope. You know, a lot of it is so hopelessly well informed, ill informed yeah. that you sort of can't take it seriously. Or in the case of doing a logo for a politician, um, the criticism is you know it's doing exactly what symbols are supposed to do. It's representing a larger idea, right. and people are. 
are commenting on shapes and colors, and yeah. really that is just a way for them to express their uh, their like, or more likely, given the way the internet works, dislike for the thing that the symbol represents. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's interesting of kind of almost pre-briefing news organizations yeah. about a rebrand and how in the last couple of years the rebrand has become this event. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, almost like an Apple keynote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where yeah. it's like, you know, you notify all the press. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and I can remember, like, like, yeah. the, like the idea that, like, people would give you the time of day. It's like, you know, I mean, there was a, you know, it wasn't that long ago where the, the idea that, like, anyone would care at all. They just yeah. would think it was preposterous, you know? Yeah. Do, you have, do you have any thoughts on... on the way the kind of general public like not designers but everyone else comments and reacts to those things and is there some sort of I don't know how to say this without it sounding really kind of like pretentious no. but education around since we're talking about rebrands like why a change has been made and that it's often more than just kind of like a surface or a a decoration. Yeah, and uh, um, I think that um, you know part of the problem is even when I'm um, uh, even when I um, get into that stuff, I like you just said you worry about feeling pretentious. Like part of it is like you know these things don't go out chaperoned by me or anyone else explaining them as they're introduced yeah. you know introducing them and explaining yeah. what they're about they do they go out there and they do whatever work they do and that's it and like you know the, in that essay that's called um, swimming not diving uh -huh. um, you know the point i wanted to make specifically that's unique i think to logos is that they they're designed if they're designed well they're designed to acquire more and more meaning over time you know and yeah. people and that's the one thing that people I, th I think it's just really hard for people to understand that people it's really hard for people to understand that when they look at the old met logo there's nothing that that, that logo does have specific characteristics um but there those the, the physical characteristics of that logo are overwhelmed by their so that logo's association with with actual lived experience that yeah. the viewer yeah. has had with the institution itself, right? And you just come to associate it with that logo, right? And then someone changes it, and it just kind of seems like you know, you know, oh my God, you you know, what have you done? This new thing means nothing, and it's stupid and ugly and everything else, you know. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it, it's not you know you could. You can say, oh, you know, you shouldn't do ligatures like that, or those serifs just seem exaggerated, or that's not how I would have done it. But, um, you know, but it, you know, the question really is, does this thing have the capacity to acquire the meaning over yeah. time that yeah. its predecessor did? And, um, and, you know, often, you know, I mean, I think it's actually really hard to judge. And I'm, I don't think we're passing the buck with these things, but, um, uh, you know, it's it's right to have. You know, I mean, I think people are entitled to have opinions about them, uh -huh. and I think sort of the, um, uh, you know, particularly, uh, um, you know, this week's logo launch. I, the, some of the funniest, snarkiest comments actually were com people commenting on the culture of commenting on logo launches. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like um, someone someone had a Twitter thing that was like 
open screen door. Kids, kids, MasterCard has a new logo. Hurry in. You know, and like, you know, yeah, coming yeah. mom. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> they were just on you. I didn't see that. Yeah, it was, it was something, I, yeah. I misquoted it, but it was something like that. And, um, and, you know, I think that people are getting, these wisecracky people who tend to lead the way, particularly on yeah. Twitter, are getting more savvy about it. And the clients are getting more savvy about it. They're learning to kind of ride it out and not freak out if someone doesn't like their new logo, yeah. you know. And um, I don't think, you know, I think that a lot of the reaction is destined to be inevitable and then it's also destined to be yoked slightly to um, what right. the logo, you know, the nature of the thing it represents. If it's, you know, the Met, people have strong personal feelings about the Met. They are, you know, if it's a big corporation, sometimes they have strong personal feelings about of dislike towards right. the corporation, yeah. in which case any new logo will just be more evidence of how awful that uh -huh. thing they hate is. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, you know, like a, like a financial services or credit card company, you know, it's like your feelings are a little bit more neutral, and so it's harder to kind of get an angle on how you would yeah. criticize what they are. I mean, Google or Instagram or... Uber, these are things that people have, the, you know, in the case of Google, you may encounter that low, you may be encountering that brand and using that brand and seeing that, you know, dozens of times a day. Yeah. Uber, if you're an Uber user, likewise, Instagram, if you're a passionate Instagram user, you're right. using that all the time. So you feel really personally about those things. And when it changes, it's sort of like waking up to find, you know, that someone's rearranged all the furniture in your house. Right. What, when, you, when you think about your you're writing or when you're writing critically like yeah. the swimming not diving piece does that how, how much of that this this question is going to be incredibly uh reductive but yeah. how much of that is like related to kind of like the work that you're doing day to day as a designer oh no uh, yeah yeah no it's a, it's a it's a good question and i think um um for a few of us um you know Michael Rock is another one. Debbie might be another one. Jessica sort of is. You know, if you're a, a working designer and you're also trying to write critically about design, it's actually, a, it's a tricky thing to do. And I was yeah. very, very conscious of it when I was writing really regularly for Design Observer. You know, there were certain, you know, I the, the whole time I wrote for Design Observer, um, in that, well, not the whole time I wrote for Design, but in the in that the initial kind of like four years that I did most of the writing that then appeared in 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 seventy nine short essays on design, um, I I think it was it, of those seventy nine essays, I think I refer to work that I actually was doing myself maybe mm. less than five times, you know, huh. like almost yeah. never, um, partly because. Um, I wanted to, you know, I, sometimes I just didn't think it was appropriate for me to be talking about yeah. um, uh, my own projects, partly because I wanted readers not to be reminded of the fact that, um, I wasn't trying to conceal it exactly, but I was trying to make people engage with the ideas and not have to feel like I was, you yeah. know, step into my studio and let me tell you how I do it, kids. Right. You know, I wanted right. them to sort of like be... I wanted to kind of take my own kind of like yeah. I wanted to take those distractions away and let the ideas be there, um, and then I and then part I just you know I was also kind of trying to push myself and just say look you know the the world of design and the way it's practiced has to you know I was looking for things that were just bigger than anecdotes that I was right. bringing to the table right. you know um, you know I remember in that design criticism of the spectator sport thing. 
was like the first time, you know, we had tried, we had gone, you know, we had redesigned the Big Ten logo, and we had oh, tried yeah. for years, to, for like this prolonged, insanely prolonged period, to redesign the UPS logo. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned oh, yeah. both those things. Yeah, and I, I and, and each of those were, you know, particularly UPS, that was like, I remember when the logo, when Future Brand actually uh-huh. successfully succeeded us on that account and managed to redesign the logo for them. I like just, I remember just sitting on my hands and thinking there's all kinds of interesting things I could say about this that I just don't think it's appropriate right. for me to say yeah. because I'm a working practitioner yeah. and um, I think for, for any number of reasons, it sounds, it will sound like sour grapes. It'll sound like sniping, it's betraying client confidences, it, you know, I mean, I just, yeah. a, you know, you really yeah. are inhibited if you're on the inside a little bit. And, you know, there were, I, you know, I used to tell Rick Pointer that I, he and I would talk and I would say, look, I'm sorry, I end up pulling a lot of punches. I really do. I won't go directly at one of my competitors, you know, no matter how much yeah. I dislike the work they've done or how much I even disapprove of the way they behaved in any right. one instance, I just don't think it's, I think it's unseemly. Yeah. It's ungentlemanly, if I can be old fashioned <laughs> about it, you know. And, um, and I, and I, and, and, and also I think, you know, design observer particular, you know, and specifically had, without any real forethought about it, kind of had a sort of, um, Faintly cerebral tone to uh-huh. it, yeah. like it, yeah, totally. there were there were very few pieces that like my cat did something funny today. You know, they were right. like all right. of them sort of um, to a degree that irritated some people. I assume kind of uh, aspired yeah. well, to this sort of like you know mountaintop yeah. view of shit. And I think I leavened it with you know sh- short words that people would right. use in conversation. I always really tried to make it sound like. Again, I was talking to a friend about this stuff yeah. as opposed to delivering, a, you know, a, an academic paper at a conference. Do, do you? We're we're starting to get a little <clears throat> short on time, yeah, so no. I'll start kind of wrapping it up a little bit. But when when you were writing those pieces, I like I like this idea of like kind of writing to a friend. Did you have an audience in mind? And and you, I think I feel like you're more interesting than some of the other people that I've talked to, and some people that I'm still going to talk to. In that. Um, from, in my opinion, most of your writing is for other designers also yeah. and kind of for the design community, um, you know, and the profession kind of at large. Uh, would you say that's, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, um, I was, I always, it was funny, it was, it was a little bit of a line to walk because I didn't want to, you know, when I, it's not as true now because people are much more informed than they are. But there was a period where any time those rare occasions where, uh, um, where 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 graphic design or graphic designers kind of like would would be mentioned in the popular press, yeah. um, you know, it always had an element of, gee, can you believe this? Can you believe people do something like yeah. this for yeah. a living? Yeah, when isn't I, that odd? You when know? I interviewed uh, Stephen Heller, he said that he would often. The reason he liked writing obituaries is because he liked letting people know that there were people that were kind of over here doing this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was a thread on, there was an article and then a long thread on Speak Up because um, after um, the, the New York, the very good New Yorker writer Alex Wilkinson, I think is his name, wrote a profile of um, of the uh, shit, the Eminence Greece of. Uh, 
American type design, Matthew Carter. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and it and like a lot of people who read it on Speak Up didn't like it because they thought, oh, he it's, it was really boring. And what they what they weren't noticing was what, what they what was hard. I remember saying, you know. Guys, the New Yorker, you know, you're not going to get this like detailed yeah. breakdown of Matthew Carter in the New Yorker because it's being read mostly by people who have no idea that that typefaces are designed by human beings who walk among us to this day and that there's some sort yeah. of thing involved with that. So just right. getting the basic foundations uh-huh. of the of the story out is is like going to occupy almost most of the article, you right. know. Not what makes Matthew Carter different from Susanna yeah, Luchko, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, and so um, uh, I would say that um, I, I did try to write when I would write things. I try to write them so that I could picture someone who wasn't a designer reading it and following along. But they'd have yeah. to be they'd have to sort of like be predisposed to be interested in this sort of thing on some level. And I also. Um, but but I would say, you know, this is going to sound corny and kind of pandering, but, I mean, I was writing it for you, basically. You know, I mean, I remember thinking I, um, I, I there was one piece of writing, and it's, a, it's like, a, like a paragraph long. And I remember it's, it's Tom Wolfe, and Tom Wolfe was asked one year to be a judge at a competition at AIGA. Okay. And um, he wrote comments about the things oh. that he was um, he was judging. And one of them was about this abstract logo for a company. He wrote the funniest damn thing I've ever read. It was so funny. Yeah. It was like, you know, a bunch of kind of like the dependent yeah. clauses just running on and on and saying, yeah. you know, uh, and it was so slangy and sassy and like you know snarky. I guess yeah, yeah. before that was really a thing. And I just remember thinking, this is how writing about design should be. It's just so funny and sharp and in your face. And I just thought, you know, it's, I yeah. you know I wasn't even trying to elevate the discourse. I just wanted it to be interesting, you know. Right. And um and so and I remember thinking, you know, if I could just write some things that some kid in Ohio who was just discovering graphic design and sort of thought, is this this intimidating, confusing thing that has mysteries behind it? Or is it this fun thing that actually connects up in all these different ways to life as I understand it, just as someone who watches TV and goes to movies and, you know, looks at the box of cereal as I'm eating it? You know, I mean, like, how does graphic design relate to that? Right. And I remember thinking that I I just want to write those kind of stories so that someone who, you know... You know, if if there's some dad out there who can tell his son or daughter is kind of slightly interested in this stuff, they would see this thing and kind of like forward it on to them. I think, yeah. hey, I think I think you'd oh, like I this. You know, that. Yeah. that was that was who my audience was. You know, yeah. I never like I I wouldn't have thought I, I I had a period where I, you know, I never minded kind of like snarky, slangy, kind of quote unquote uninformed writing about design. The thing I really hated was this kind of binge that happened around there that was about intensely academic writing that oh, started yeah. happening yeah um that that just was um you know and i'm told this is that i'm wrong by people i respect so with a grain of salt but i just remember like reading these things that just i could not decipher and what always bothered me about them too was that there was always like an absent subject in all of them they were yeah. talking about graphic design on some level but never you know, they talk about, um, you know, the gendered gaze of, of some, you know, and, and of uh-huh. something. And as Derrida said, and, well, you know, like, yeah. it's like, are you, you know, uh-huh. and I just remember yeah. Tom Wolfe doing this really funny commentary on the cult of abstract logos. And it just yeah. was like, 
bang, you know, yeah. it was like fantastic. Yeah. And instead, this stuff was just kind of like was like slathered all over everything. It kind of sounded like you could hum along with it, along with other academic writing you had read, and it sort of sounded like the same basic tune, yeah. but didn't really mean anything that I could fathom. It certainly didn't add to my understanding of what design was, you know. The, the, I love I love that you brought this up right at the end because yeah. actually, because <laughs> one we I could talk about yeah. that for another two hours, but it also it's a perfect setup for what my last two questions yeah, were good, gonna, good, good. gonna be f- for you. Um, and we didn't plan this, so yeah, it was good. perfect. Um, my f- first question is kind of like what kind of as we were saying, there's there's like more talk around design than ever. What what do you think is is lacking? in that discussion, whether it's like a, a subject or an issue or a kind of type of writing or a, you know, a, an audience that needs to be hit? Um, um, I think it's a couple of things. And um, I don't think it's lacking. In, I, I have trouble identifying its absence entirely unless I had seen instances of it that I just would like to see more of. You know, okay. So for yeah. instance... Yeah, that's it. Alexandra Lang just wrote this essay in Curbed about uh, the Four Seasons, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just sensational. It's both really well reported. I mean, it's yeah. like she really did her homework on it. It starts out with a personal story about her grandfather. It's sort of it's 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 catches. It's emotional because it's he's, she's trying to communicate this sense of of familiarity with a beloved place which now is going to basically be forever right. changed mm-hmm. and so it, it it has that element too and it actually makes this really kind of powerful case for what those kind of places can mean and it does it with this like kind of like absolute mastery where she's not falling back just on you know there's a lot of stories we're about the about the yeah. about the four seasons and i i would if i was like a normal person i'd be like I'd be bored with them. like, fuck the four seasons and everything that's ever eaten there. You know, it's like, I don't want to care about this and why yeah, is this a yeah. thing, you know? And instead, she wrote it in a way that that was was really original and went deep on the actual subject matter of it. So I think what's there that's, you know, there's a couple of things that's there that you don't find enough of. One is that um, she's able to admit to and and own sort of the emotional effect that uh-huh. design has yeah. and, 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 and in so doing that's also admitting about the unquantifiable effect that it has the, um, the, the subjective effect that it has I think that Jessica's whole book is basically about that her yeah. new book right uh, uh, The Invention of Desire um, and so that that, I mean, that was really refreshing and important and you know there's like I mean like you never I mean, like there's, there's writers I really admire um, who somehow just f- either factor that out because they they're not allowed to kind of get to that, or it just seems too arbitrary or something else. Secondly, she really did do her homework, and she's not just sort of like yeah. assuming blah 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 Philip Johnson blah 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 uh-huh. you know pool room grill room blah 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 yeah. you know Phil Phyllis Lambert you know. Bronfman, blah, you know, Miss Vanderbilt, kind of reiterating all these like kind of like things that we can all recite about the place. She actually really went in and looked at the details, and as a graphic designer, of course, I appreciated the way she looked at the details of those darn right. uh, menus and everything yeah. else. But I mean, it wasn't just that; it was really impressive. So I think that's that's one thing, and I think um, the other thing is, um, and um, 
Lorraine Wilde, who's also, I think, is, is someone yeah. who is in your category, people. Yeah, yeah I want to talk know. to her. Lorraine wrote this beautiful essay called Castles Made of Sand, I think, that you should track down because in it she she talks about, and it's, she, I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting it to be about that. But she talks about sort of the context in which design is actually made mm. and how inconvenient it is, how hard it is to, uh, to report that and to research that and to memorialize that yeah. and how convenient it is just mm. to ascribe, you know, um, you know, I mean, people just will default to there is this designer and that designer just did this series yeah. of, you yeah. know, done this series of things and you can look at it as a body of work and this is this is the best stuff and this is this is not quite as good and there's this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. And designers kind of, like, one of the things that makes design so great and one of the things that make graphic design specifically so great is that it's really like a social activity. Uh-huh. You know, you can't go off by yourself and be a designer. Well, I guess right. you can. Right. But, um, but, I, yeah. but the reason I became a designer is because I'm too, uh, I'm too social or too terrified of loneliness or too, uh, um, too um, I lack the confidence simply to go off and just right. sort of like, you know, paint canvases that I think are, are bringing to life some unique vision I have that the yeah. world needs to share. I, I mean, I don't have any of that within me at all. What I can do is have someone come to me and say, look, you know, uh, we've had this logo for 20 years that's been changed in X, Y, and Z, and I can kind of get into that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, yeah, and so call me, you know, I'm a, so I'm just, a, uh, you know, I'm a vendor, uh, you know, so, I mean, but like, you know, I admit it. And so, um, but so that means that all of the interactions that I have happen within this web of relationships, the way I get, the way the client comes to me, what their expectations are, what the frustrations are along the way. And that's, that's like, it's edited completely out of history, you right. know? And, right. and then every That's once in a while you'll get this you'll get this fascinating glimpse of it. Sometimes you know there's a uh, there's a long there's a big coffee table book about I think Elliot Noyes, the uh, mm. Connecticut-based industrial designer, yeah. who really kind of was you know in post-war America was kind of a little had a zelig sort of. Uh, yeah. uh, ubiquity among at IBM for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, IBM, Mobile, Westinghouse. He oh, was right. like the go-to oh, right. guy, and so he was with Saarinen. He's with Ivan yeah. Shemayev. He's with uh, um, you know all these yeah. other guys, and sort of and, and 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 it's sort of like you really get a sense of who his enablers were, who his patrons were, what their motivations were, what they were trying to accomplish. So like, there's a social history to design that is really easy to miss, and once it's missed, it disappears. Right. You know, and I think, um, uh, you know, certainly in other art forms, you know, biographies, you yeah. know, I mean, look, look read, you know, Wallace Stevens has like, you know, biographers, you know, kind of record, you know, trying to fathom his every move, what compelled him to write this poem or that poem and how did he revise them and what was he doing and where was he walking home and who did he work for and everything yeah. else. And meanwhile, these designs are just sort of this thing came from somewhere and here's the credit and that's hooray, you know. That, yeah, that's... Uh, it's a perfect. I almost want to end it there, but I have one more, one more Go question. And, yeah. and so, I right like, so I like both sure. those things, and I think, but they both require lots of work. And, and yeah. Alexandra is yeah. like she's got unpublished shit. Like her PhD stuff is. Yeah, she told me a little bit about it's it. It's just great. I mean, it's it's like eating candy to read. <laughs> to to just kind of wrap everything up because we're we're short on time. Um, what do you think? And, and it, it kind of relates to that last question. Is what do you think? 
design writing and design criticism and theory, what is its value in the profession, uh, kind of like in the current state? Not as like a, you know, necessarily as like a history marker, but as kind of like work that's being put out today and writing being put out today. What what value does that add? Okay, I'll I'll improvise a an answer to that that I'm not sure is the answer. Okay. and, and I, I know it's a setup because I don't because it's assuming that there is a value. Yeah, and yeah. part of this. Well, project I mean, is yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one value it has. I'm not sure this is the most important yeah. one or the only one. Um, the thing that's fascinating about design, I mean, it goes to what I was just saying about it being yeah. a social activity. It's a, it's a really complex activity, and um, you learn about only one part of it when you're in design school. I mean, uh-huh. and, and it's hard to learn. It's hard to actually master a craft and, and acquire the facility it takes to uh, um, just to do, to be an architect or a product designer or a graphic designer or any of these things, right? It, it requires really hard work and practice to get good at it on whatever terms yeah. you've defined yeah. as good, right? Um, then, you know, when you go into the world and you start practicing in real life, you know, if you're talking about the professional world, um, you know, there's all this stuff that you couldn't have been, that's not possible to teach in school, right. you know. And right. then um, for years, sort of like war stories about stupid clients were sort of like passed from hand to hand. And oh, those yeah. were like the only, those sort of like defined uh-huh. the terms of, of what discourse was, yeah. you know. It was sort of like, you know, clients are, you know, clients are stupid and you have to trick them into right. picking the design that you yeah. are trying to sell or... Sometimes you find someone who will let you do whatever you want, and they're like the best. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. there's like sort of these like yeah. incredibly simplistic formulations right. that are like, you know, that are no more sophisticated than the seating arrangements at some fourth grader's birthday party. You know, I mean, they they sort of like know anything. You know, yeah. And I think um, it's like so. It's not just about clients, but it's about how work lives in the world and how it's perceived and how you actually do things. Now, I was lucky. You know, I lucked into getting a job with someone who was yeah. really super thoughtful and very generous with sharing his thinking, Massimo Vignelli. Yeah. And, um, and I worked for him right out of school, and I worked there for 10 years. And he and I, like, actually have very different ideas about, about design and how it should be, how, how it can be practiced and everything else. We don't, not, not ideas that we would fight about or we sort of see each other's. Yeah ideas is outright wrong but they were I wasn't just a uh, uncritical disciple of things that he wasn't that the things he espoused or was enthusiastic about but he was someone who like actually um, would take design work and put it in a bigger context sometimes talking about it really clearly and sometimes just by example you know and I really learned a lot about design on all sorts of different levels not just things that he did that I wanted to emulate but just a way of thinking about things on a slightly yeah. higher level, and so I. But I. Not everyone can work for Massimo Vignelli, you know. Right. And right. and these days, um, lots of people can do design, and they have to find their own way in it. So I think one of the things that design writing can contribute to is just creating like a bigger base of knowledge about mm. um, mm-hmm. about the world of design yeah. and what its potential is, right? And, um, you know, so you could read, for instance, a piece that Alexandra Lang had written about the Four Seasons restaurant. You could read it just to be edified about, isn't right. that interesting, the Four Seasons restaurant, who, who would have thunk? 
or you and you could also read it as wow what i mean to create kind of a place that would endure like that what were the characteristics of it yeah. what am i getting from what is she seeing there that i could what lessons are there for my own work and my own ambitions if i share if if this is relevant and, and, right. and so right. that would be right. relevant to someone's ambitions yeah. it would be completely yeah. irrelevant to someone else's but i think it's a way to sort of like learn yeah. from this this body of this this world of activity that goes on all the time that's been going yeah. on for you know, for decades and decades now, and that largely has been unrecorded. That goes back yeah. to that to Lorraine's essay, where right? she called it "Castles Made of Sand" because she says, yeah. it's just you know, we do all this stuff and it all just blows yeah. away." And it's not just our work as ephemeral and gets recycled; it's that the whole everything about these things sort of are ephemeral right. and get recycled. You know? Yeah, I, I I love how that also just kind of brings us full circle because yeah. you know, design observer and speak up were my kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. they were my knowledge base before I had any kind of real knowledge of it. And so it's been it's been really great to talk to you. It's oh, really an honor. So thank you, Jared. Thank, thank you for your time. Good. My pleasure. This episode was recorded on July 14, 2016 at Pentagram's offices in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.